0: This broadcast was originally recorded on December 7th, 2022.
1: It is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy.
2: That line is long.
1: The people have spoken.
2: That's a good one, too. I think I like his better.
3: I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep
2: From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A., also in California, and Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's W-L-R-I Maui, Hawaii's K-A-K-U In Columbus, Ohio on W-G-R-N Palinville, New York's W-L-P-P Rochester, New York's W-R-F-Z Down in New Orleans on W-H-I-V Out in Gallup, New Mexico on K-N-I-Z Concord, New Hampshire's W-N-H-N Fayetteville, Arkansas's K-P-S-Q In Seattle on K-O-D-X Janesville, Wisconsin's W-A-D-R-N minneapolis st paul's am 950 ktnf we also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the progressive voices channel netroots radio radio for humans nicolesandler.com radio free brooklyn workforce rising no lies radio verdon square radio detour talk and most of your favorite podcast sites Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining me and the delightful Desi Doyen, who's always (laughs) by our side. How are you, Desiree? I'm doing okay. Not much sleep, I know, between last night and this morning.
0: It's everything all at once, all the time.
2: For a change. Uh, well, you may be, uh, may or may not be, I don't know, happy to know that all of the voting, at least, yes, is finally over in the nation's midterm elections for 2022 as of today. Uh, if not all the counting, necessarily, and the recounting, and even that's you know, not entirely true because I believe there are some runoffs, local elections and some state constitutional measures and so forth that are on the ballot this coming weekend in Louisiana. But,
0: but for the most part, the 2022 part, election is over. Certainly
2: all of the voting for the major statewide and federal races and so forth around the country. Yes, it's finally over. Some recounts await uh, or are underway in Arizona, Colorado and elsewhere, but the Democrats continued their impressive performance in the final major race of the year for the U.S. Senate contest in Georgia on Tuesday. Incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock defeated Republican challenger Herschel Walker in the Georgia runoff to become the first African-American elected to a full six-year term in the Peach State. Warnock had been serving since the 2020 election. uh, Well, actually serving since his 2021 runoff election. At that time, he had defeated Kelly Loeffler, Republican Kelly Loeffler, uh, on January 5th of that year. January 5th. 2021, helping to give the Democrats a majority in the upper chamber that year. Kelly Loeffler had been appointed to the post by Republican Governor Brian Kemp to fill the seat that was left vacant by the ailing and now late Republican Johnny Isakson. So the 2020 slash 2021 contest was actually a special election that year. So. Warnock's original election was to fill only the two remaining years of Isaacson's term and his apparent victory on Tuesday night. Now in the Peach state means that a Raphael Warnock has apparently won more elections in the U.S. over the past two years between primary elections, general elections and runoff elections more than any other person, I think, in the nation. (laughs) Wow. And uh, B, he will now serve a full six-year term, along with the state's other Democratic senator, John Ossoff, in what, at least until Donald Trump came along, had long been considered a pretty deep-red state. Uh, 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 Warnock's victory... Uh, presuming his uh, colleagues all stay healthy in the Senate, ensures now the Democrats will have an outright majority in the Senate for the rest of President Joe Biden's current term. It caps an otherwise underwhelming midterm cycle for the GOP. In the last major election of the year, Democrats will have a 51-49 Senate majority now gaining a seat from the current 50-50 split, thanks to John Fetterman's victory in Pennsylvania. And even though it's only one seat, uh, the 51-49 split it makes a big difference. It means, for example, that while Democrats held a nominal majority over the past two years with a 50-50 split in the Senate, Thanks to the tie-breaking vote by Vice President Kamala Harris, she serves as the president of the Senate. Uh, Their majority will now be outright, 51-49, even if it's a narrow one. But it means, for example, that in Senate committees, Democrats will have an actual advantage, Uh, one vote advantage, but an advantage. They had to split power previously over the past two years In those committees. And when, you know, most things got tied up with a split even vote in committee, that meant time then had to be used on the Senate floor to settle the matter, to discharge any agenda items from those committees, like, uh, you know, legislative markups and the confirmation of executive branch appointments, judicial appointments, federal judges.
0: Yeah, it was a great way to slow things down.
2: Even though uh, Joe Biden, by the way, and the Senate, uh, led by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, were able to seat a record number of federal judges in the first two years of a president's term. But Even that record pace now is expected to pick up beginning in the next Congress because Democrats have an outright majority. So that is certainly good news. There will be divided government, however, in Congress with Republicans having flipped, narrowly flipped uh, control of the House in November. But on Tuesday night, from the results reported across the state of Georgia, all of them tallied by computer, As of now, so none of them verified by any actual humans yet, Warnock defeated Walker by just under three points, at least as of airtime, improving on his just under one point victory over Walker in the first round of voting back in November Uh, Warnock, however, fell just shy of the 50 percent plus one that would have been needed to avoid this runoff entirely in November. So this is what we have. And uh, Warnock uh, picked up on his uh, uh, victory over Walker in the runoff. In last month's election, Warner, I'm sorry, Warnock led Walker by 37,000 votes out of almost four million cast on Tuesday night. Warnock appears to have defeated Walker by nearly 100,000 votes.
0: That's a pretty strong victory.
2: Out of a bit more than three and a half million cast. Yeah, it is an oppressive turnout, by the way, also for a runoff election, particularly in the wake of Georgia's SB 202. That's their voter restriction law that was adopted after the 2020 election to make it harder for certain people to vote after Donald Trump pretended that the election had been stolen from him. Uh, Including among the uh, suppressive measures They compressed the time And the number of early voting days Between the general election and the runoff Which used to follow election day by about two months Well this time it all had to be done in one single month During his victory remarks on Tuesday night Warnock referenced the difficulties that voters did have In voting under the new state law Adopted by state Republicans last year
1: There are those who would look at the outcome of this race and say that there's no voter suppression in Georgia. Let me be clear. Just because people endured long lines that wrapped around buildings some blocks long, just because they endured the rain and the coal and all kinds of tricks in order to vote doesn't mean that voter suppression does not exist it simply means that you the people have decided that your voices will not be silenced
2: Now, for his part, uh, perhaps to his credit, given that he was recruited by election liar Donald Trump, Herschel Walker offered remarks on Tuesday night that were somewhat like concession remarks, uh, noting, quote, the numbers look like they're not going to add up, telling supporters late Tuesday at the College Football Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta, quote, there's no excuses in life and I'm not going to make any excuses now because we put up one heck of a fight. In fact, he did. The fact that this race was as close as it was is somewhat amazing to me, given how terrible Walker was as candidate. And frankly, how good Reverend Warnock actually is as candidate, with some on Tuesday night, even chattering about the possibility for higher office for the 53 year old pastor at Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Civil rights icon Martin Luther King once served in the same role and where Warnock continues to preach on Sundays, even uh, while serving as a senator.
0: Yeah, it seems kind of remarkable, but I think that uh, we can clearly see in this that Republicans in Georgia were being a bit cynical about all of this and choosing what would bring them the most power versus who would
2: represent Georgia. I don't know what Walker's defeat bookends the GOP's struggles this year to win with flawed candidates, putting it nicely, cast from Donald Trump's mold. Uh, A blow to the former president as he builds his third White House bid ahead of 2024, or at least as he pretends to. We'll see if he actually ends up running, given the mountain of legal problems he's currently facing. Just some of which we detailed on yesterday's broadcast when Trump's company, the Trump Organization, was found guilty of 17 counts related to years of tax fraud. At his uh, at his family business, national Democrats were celebrating on Tuesday with Biden. Joe President Biden tweeting a photo of his congratulatory phone call to Senator Warnock, noting, "Quote: Georgia voters stood up for democracy, rejected rejected ultra MAGAism, and sent a good man back to the Senate." During the campaign, Warnock emphasized his willingness to work across the aisle and his personal values. Buoyed by his status as the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist, Warnock promoted his Senate accomplishments touting a provision that he sponsored to cap insulin costs for Medicare patients. He hailed deals on infrastructure and maternal health health care that was forged with Republican senators, mentioning those GOP colleagues even more than he mentioned Biden or other Washington Democrats. Walker, meanwhile, avoided campaigning with Donald Trump until the campaign's final day when the pair conducted a conference call on Monday with supporters. But it was by then too late. Democrats increased their early vote share in the run up to Election Day with the GOP still holding most of their voting for the final day of uh, of the election after giving up what had once been their advantage I remember when I started covering elections about 20 years ago, and it was just sort of taken for granted that when it came to absentee ballots, well, that was for Republicans. Republicans did really well in absentee voting. It was one of the reasons why Republicans, when they started to force these strict photo ID laws around the country, they only made them uh, uh, appeal to. Uh, election day v- uh, uh, apply precinct to. voting. Yeah, yeah, apply to precinct voting. Uh, if you were voting by mail, you didn't have to have any ID whatsoever. Why? Well, because they knew that that might end up disenfranchising Republicans who used vote by mail more than Democrats back in the day. Apparently, that's how old I am. <laughs> Uh, Walker now joins failed Senate nominees Dr. Mehmet Oz of Pennsylvania, Blake Masters of Arizona, Adam Laxalt of Nevada, Don Bolduc of New Hampshire, as all Trump loyalists who ultimately lost races that Republicans once said once thought at least that they could win, that they arguably should have won in a midterm election year in which democrats held the house the senate and the white house with an unpopular president in the oval office that almost always results in a wave election against the incumbent party but not this year so there were uh, a few noteworthy and or enlightening and or just amusing uh, uh, comments from election watchers on tuesday ni- on, yeah on tuesday night beginning with someone who calls themselves anagram man who observed that, uh, quote, Raphael Warnock is an anagram of, ha, no Walker crap. (laughs) I had no idea. Who knew? Mississippi journalist Sam Hall tweeted, uh, one has to wonder if the real loser tonight is Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, whose influence shrinks dramatically now that Democrats have 51 votes in the U.S. Senate.
0: Yeah, he'll be less able to hold things up, but he'll still try.
2: Well, he may still try, and also Kirsten Cinema, the oh, yeah. uh, supposed forget. Democrat from Arizona. So at least one of them can hold things up if they want to, but it won't be quite as easy. They, they have to get both of them, basically, if they want to uh, be as obstructive as they were over the past two years. Uh, Daniel Nishanian, one of our favorite progressive election watch- watchers who uh, tweets under the name Taniel. He summarized a few noteworthy data points following the 2022 elections as things are finally wrapping up now, observing, quote, There were four Senate races this year in states that flipped from Donald Trump to Joe Biden back in 2020, and Democrats will have carried three of them uh, this year, only losing to a GOP incumbent in Wisconsin. That would be Ron Johnson who defeated the state's Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes in his uh, reelection bid. I thought uh, Mandela Barnes, by the way, was also an excellent candidate, but he was ultimately outgunned in the air war once Republicans realized that they were likely to lose that uh, seat of Ron Johnson, and they flooded the airwaves in Wisconsin with money to launch negative and racist television ads against Mandela Barnes. Nishanian goes on to note there were five governor races across those states, the states which flipped from Trump to Biden in uh, in 2020, and Democrats will have carried four of them. They only lost to a Republican incumbent in Georgia. That would be Brian Kemp. Also, he notes of those five states regarding the new makeup of state legislatures in those states, Democrats flipped the state legislature. In Michigan, both the House and the Senate to take trifecta control in the state, along with its Democratic governor, Gretchen Whit- uh, Whitmer, who easily won re election last month. That is huge. Democrats also flipped the state house in Pennsylvania from red to blue, along to hanging on to the governor's mansion and flipping a previously uh, Republican U.S. Senate seat from red to blue as well. The Republican... Uh, the, the GOP gained some legislative seats in Wisconsin. However, they lost ground in the state of Georgia. Both states are heavily gerrymandered states by Republicans. We will get to some of that in a moment. I should note that though it went for Democrats on the presidential level over both of the last two presidential races, uh, Democrats also managed to flip the Minnesota state Senate as well. It was a huge year for Democrats when it should have been a huge year for Republicans, in truth. I mean, if there was any questions about whether this was a red wave or not, that matter should be pretty definitively settled after Tuesday night.
0: I think so. I think it also demonstrates conclusively that when the voters turn out and are able to vote, that Democrats tend to win.
2: Daily Coast elections noted that some history was, in fact, made as of Tuesday night, They note it's the first midterm since 1962 that Democrats netted, gained Senate seats while holding the White House. It's the first midterm since 1934 that the White House Party gained Senate seats and governorships. And it's the first midterm since 1934 that the White House Party did not lose even one single Senate seat. That's a big deal. So a lot of history indeed uh, made in 2022. Certainly it was one for the history books in more ways than one. Well, speaking of those history books, the U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday morning suggested they were looking to make history as well, but not in a good way. In a case that I have long been warning about on this program called Moore v. Harper, It is a case that depending on how the corrupted, stolen and packed Republican justices on the court end up ruling could be yet another opinion from this court that ends up living in infamy. So we're going from the good news on Tuesday night to whatever the hell happened on Wednesday that, uh... The 6-3 to three GOP Supreme Court finally heard oral arguments on this case, and we will be joined in a little bit by someone who was there inside the court.
0: In the room where it happened.
2: There you go. That story and that guest are uh, still all still ahead on today's history-making broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an Encore presentation of The Bradcast. Welcome back. It's The Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. At least six Supreme Court justices sounded skeptical of making a broad ruling that would leave state legislatures virtually unchecked when making rules for elections for Congress and the presidency. At least that's how the Associated Press saw the arguments at the corrupt, stolen and packed high court on Wednesday morning in the case that we have been warning you about for months now here on the program, a case called Moore v. Harper, a case that I think it is no overstatement to describe as one that could change everything we have ever known about American elections in the 233 years or so since our Constitution was ratified. At least that's how I see it. We'll see if... My guest, an expert on gerrymandering, agrees, even as it is not just gerrymandering that now hangs in the balance, as you will soon see. As AP argues, and I don't know that I I heard it the same way, uh, they report in Arguments Wednesday, both liberal and conservative members of the high court appeared to take issue with the main thrust of a challenge asking them to essentially eliminate the power of state courts to strike down state legislature-drawn, gerrymandered congressional districts on grounds that those gerrymanders violate state constitutions. In other words, the state courts... We don't need them to interpret the state constitutions. Whatever the legislature says goes. Republicans from North Carolina who brought the case to the high court argue that a provision of the U.S. Constitution, known as the Elections Clause, gives state lawmakers virtually total control over the, quote, time, places and manner of congressional elections, including redistricting, cutting state courts, state constitutions, gubernatorial vetoes, even ballot initiatives adopted by voters, cutting that right out of the process entirely. It is a far, far right fringe constitutional interpretation. It has never been ratified by a majority on the Supreme Court that Republicans well, they are now advancing this theory. It's a concept called the Independent Legislature Theory, and while it has never before been adopted by a Supreme Court, it has been cited approvingly now by at least four right-wing justices on the Republicans' corrupt, stolen, and packed court majority. A broad ruling could threaten hundreds of, of election laws, require separate rules for federal and state elections on the very same ballot and could lead to new efforts to redraw congressional districts in order to maximize partisan advantage by the, well, whichever party controls the majority of the state legislature in all 50 states. It could also allow state legislatures to determine presidential electors, for example, in presidential elections, despite what voters in the state actually have to say about it. After all, if the Constitution says anything and everything regarding elections is left up to the state legislature, well, so much for the voters. Quote, this is a theory with big consequences, said Justice Elena Kagan on Wednesday, allowing for the, quote, most extreme forms of gerrymandering from legislatures, barring the ability for state constitutions or state Supreme Courts interpreting those constitutions to have any say at all in the matter. The case comes about after the North Carolina state Supreme Court struck down districts that were drawn by Republicans who control the legislature because those districts heavily favored Republicans in the very highly competitive state. The court drawn map that was used instead in last month's elections. Well, for Congress that produced a seven to seven split between Democrats and Republicans. Sounds like a fair map to me. Uh, The one that the state legislature tried to enact would have resulted in a huge Advantage for Republicans, despite how close the state has split over the years. It voted for Barack Obama one year, then Donald Trump the next, even as they elected a Democrat statewide on the very same ballot to hold the governor's mansion. North Carolina is not alone, of course. It is among six states in recent years in which state courts have ruled that overly partisan redistricting for Congress violated their state constitutions. The others were Florida, Maryland, New York, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. State courts have become the only legal forum for challenging partisan congressional maps because the Supreme Court in 2019 Uh, said that those lawsuits cannot be brought in federal court. They can only be brought under state uh, court challenges. Chief Justice John Roberts, writing for the court and joined by four other conservative justices at the time in a case known as Rucho v. Common Cause, well, he noted that state courts remained wide open, even though federal courts could no longer entertain these sorts of cases. Former acting solicitor general Neil Katyal was one of the attorneys arguing in response to the Republican petitioners on behalf of respondent common cause here. He described during his opening remarks on Wednesday the extraordinary damage that would be done to hundreds of state election laws in all 50 states. Uh, adopted since the founding of the, of the nation about 233 years ago if the court agreed with petitioners in this
4: case. For 233 years, states have not read the elections clause the way you just heard. Petitioners' idea that state legislatures created by state constitutions are independent to them is wrong. It is rejected by the Articles of Confederation, rejected by the early state constitutions, rejected by the founding practice, especially in New York, where judges vetoed federal election bills. It's also rejected by this court. Just three years ago in Rucho, this court promised state constitutions can provide standards for state courts to apply and singled out for approval a Florida court decision that used a state constitution to invalidate a federal map. To accept petitioners' claim, you'd have to ignore the text, history, and structure of our federal constitution, as well as nearly every state constitution today. Petitioners say for two centuries, nearly everyone has been reading the clause wrong. That's a lot of wrong and a lot of wrong past elections. Frankly, I'm not sure I've ever come across a theory in this court that would invalidate more state constitutional clauses as being federally unconstitutional, hundreds of them from the founding to today. It's worth taking a pause to think about what petitioners are saying. They claim the word legislature means a species of state law that has literally never existed, state lawmaking unconstrained by a state constitution, If the founders intended to create that animal, surely someone would have said something. Finally, the blast radius from their theory would sow elections chaos, forcing a confusing two-track system with one set of rules for federal elections and another for state ones. Case after case would wind up in this court with a political party on either side of the V. That would put this court in a difficult position instead of leaving it to the 50 states.
2: This this is just... uh Almost like a ba- like a nightmare. I mean, this is yes. like a bad dream come true. But this is what is actually playing out and the U.S. Supreme Court in this country right now. and I
0: think it's really important uh, what Katyal said about the blast radius, about how this will have ramifications far beyond just the immediate case uh, in question. I mean, it really is, as you say, hard to overstate how deeply radical and extreme and undemocratic this entire case is, this idea of unreviewable state legislature power, total authority.
2: In remarks on behalf of the federal government... Uh, On Wednesday, President Biden's Solicitor General Elizabeth Preloger echoed and added to some of Katyal's concerns describing the havoc and the chaos that would occur if state Supreme Courts were no longer allowed to interpret state constitutions when it came to election laws handing unchecked power to those state legislatures.
5: Throughout our nation's history, state legislatures enacting election laws have operated within the bounds of their state constitutions enforced by state judicial review. This practice dates from the Articles of Confederation, and the framers carried it forward by using parallel language in the Elections Clause to assign state legislatures a duty to make laws. Text, longstanding practice, and precedent show that the Elections Clause did not displace this ordinary check on state lawmaking. Petitioners' contrary theory rejects all of this history and would wreak havoc in the administration of elections across the nation. Their theory would invalidate constitutional provisions in every single state, many tracing back to the founding. That would sow chaos on the ground as state and federal elections would have to be administered under divergent rules, and federal courts, including this court, would be flooded with new claims, often at the 11th hour in the midst of hotly contested elections. The court should adhere to the consistent practice that has governed for more than two centuries and should reject petitioners a textual, a historical and destabilizing interpretation of the elections clause.
2: It, it really does feel like a bad dream, but this is reality and I'm not quite as certain as Associated Press. Uh, AP is that uh, there were at least six Supreme Court justices who were skeptical of this theory.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I did not get that same sense.
2: Far-right Republican justices Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas, they're already on record. They wrote back in March that they would have allowed the Republican-drawn map in North Carolina to be used this year, even though the state Supreme Court there found it to be a clear violation of the state's constitution. Republican Justice Brett Kavanaugh has separately written about this radical idea of the need for the uh, federal courts to police the actions of state courts when it comes to federal elections. Even when those state courts are interpreting their own state's constitution, we have to police those state uh, those state courts. Let the feds do it. In North Carolina, meanwhile, Republican lawmakers will not have to wait for the court's decision, which is likely to come next June, in order to produce a new congressional map that is unfair and expected to have many more districts gerrymandered for Republicans, even as Democrats won half of the state's 14 congressional seats under the state court ordered maps last month, Republicans have since seized control of the state supreme court majority in those same midterm elections. Two newly elected Republican justices now give the GOP a 5 to 2 edge that makes it more likely than not that the state supremes will uphold a new map with more Republican districts Since, by state law, court-ordered maps may be used for just one election before the legislature gets another crack at it, so there will almost certainly be new U.S. House district maps in North Carolina in the 2024 election, no matter how Moore v. Harper is ultimately decided by the U.S. Supremes. But the damage that could be about to happen to American elections in all 50 states, depending on how this court rules, this coming June on the so-called independent state legislature theory presented by Moore v. Harper could be nothing less than earth-shaking. We'll take a quick break here. If we can get him on the phone at the U.S. Capitol, we will be joined next by Dave Daly, an expert and author on gerrymandering, who was inside of SCOTUS for Wednesday's oral arguments. That is straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
0: You're listening to an Encore presentation of The Bradcast.
2: It could be... Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. If North Carolina Republicans have their way at the U.S. Supreme Court in Moore v. Harper, uh, complete, unfettered, unreviewable control of state election law would be granted to its GOP state legislature. They'd be able to ignore the state constitution and defy the uh, state Supreme Court's interpretation of it. But it would also allow state legislatures across the country to do the same thing for virtually any election law regarding federal elections under the so-called independent state legislature theory. Yes, including determining whatever slate of presidential electors they may like to see, no matter what the voters of the state have to say about it. This theory, which has never been approved as a legitimate doctrine, In the U.S. Constitution by any U.S. Supreme Court until perhaps now, yes, could become the law of the land. Here was Justice Elena Kagan responding to the attorney for the Republican petitioners from North Carolina on Wednesday morning as he argued in favor of Moore v. Harper. Pardon me, the insane so-called independent state legislature theory.
6: Uh, if I could, Mr. Thompson, I'd like to step back a bit and just, um, you know, think about consequences because this is a theory with big consequences. It um, it would uh, say that if a legislature engages in the most extreme forms of gerrymandering, um, there is no state constitutional remedy for that, even if the courts think that that's a violation of the constitution. It would say that legislatures could enact all manner of restrictions on voting, get rid of all kinds <laughs> of voter protections that the state constitution, in fact, prohibits. Uh, it might allow the legislatures to insert themselves, to give themselves a role in the certification of elections and and um, uh, and 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 the way election results are um, calculated. So. Um, And in all these ways, I think what might strike a person is that uh, this is a proposal that gets rid of the normal checks and balances on the way um, big governmental decisions are made in this country. And and you might think that it gets rid of all those checks and balances at exactly the time when they are needed most. Because legislators, we all know, have their own self-interest. They want to get re-elected. And so there are countless times when they have incentives to suppress votes, to dilute votes, to negate votes, to prevent um, voters from having true access and true opportunity to engage the political process. It seems very much out of keeping with the way our governmental system uh, works and is meant to work. And I think if I could just connect it up to the last question that I asked, it's why, in all these recent cases, we have statements that say, of course, when the legislature act, acts, it's subject to the normal constraints. I mean, in this area of all areas.
2: Of course, it used to be subject to normal constraints. We'll see if that's the case as of, uh, well, next June when the Supreme Court decides Moore v. Harper. Joining us now to get a sense of how things played out inside the U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday morning is our friend David Daly, who was there for oral arguments in Moore v. Harper. Dave Daly is a senior fellow at FairVote.org and the author of several books on extreme partisan gerrymandering, one of which has a name that we cannot say on FCC radio, so we We just call it Rat Flipped the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy, and more recently, unrigged how Americans are battling back to save democracy. David also once served as my editor at Salon, where he served for many years as editor-in-chief. He joins us from, I believe, inside the U.S. Capitol right now, where I know he's got to get to a meeting very shortly with a U.S. senator. Uh, Dave Daly, thanks for making a few minutes available to us on what I know is a crazy busy day for you up there in D.C. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Dave, AP's reportage of uh, today's oral argument suggests that at least six justices, as they see it, were skeptical of North Carolina Republicans' argument that the U.S. Constitution allows state legislatures and only state legislatures to create election laws under the U.S. Constitution state supreme courts and governors etc be damned before we get your take on that i i hope to focus on the actual legal arguments made in this case more on tomorrow's program uh so what would be the practical effects on gerrymandering itself in north carolina and everywhere else if the uh, north carolina republicans are successful here in in their argument
3: the consequences for this case are seismic uh, Really, this is yet another case that uh, could shake the very foundation of our uh, democracy. If the court were to find that state legislatures uh, face no constraints, either from a governor's veto or from a state constitution or the state Supreme Court, in uh, how they create election law, how they certify elections, how they draw redistricting Mm maps, Uh, it would give these state legislatures complete unfettered power to effectively do as they will. Um, and that is a terrifying prospect when you look at how gerrymandered these legislatures already are, when you look at how willing legislators in, in Pennsylvania and in Arizona and Wisconsin and Georgia have been to... Mm-hmm. Uh, buy into the big lie and to be willing to throw out election results in mm-hmm. or to no wildly gerrymander maps in their favor. This is a huge deal and we've got to be paying a lot of attention to
2: it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Now, I'm no constitutional attorney, Dave, so uh, of course the arguments at the court were not necessarily meant for me, but uh, while I can usually follow the arguments in these cases uh, at least enough to understand them in general, I, I listened to this whole argument. This one went so far into the constitutional uh, interpretation weeds or ether, I don't know, I eventually got lost while trying to follow it home. But it seems to me that that's actually because this argument is really so insane, so unprecedented and frankly so convoluted that it would cause so much damage if it was actually unleashed. Is it a fair assessment to say that, I don't know how you interpreted it, but I was so confused, it made me feel like, well, maybe their case was not that strong.
3: <laughs> um, I would put it a slightly different way, uh-huh. although I would agree with you that the independent state legislature theory is bonkers that it, you know, uh, and I think bonkers is the technical constitutional law Yes, uh, a word to describe it. Yes. Um, uh, it is not grounded in any reading of the Constitution, of American history, of the founding, of the actual way that uh, state constitutions have functioned in the last 233 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that, and on the merits of this case, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, but I think what we need to remember uh, is that when it comes to the, the Supreme Court, and especially when it comes to this Supreme mm-hmm. Court, that, that, that bonkers is no mine. That it only takes five of them mm-hmm. to effectively do what they will. And at the beginning of the segment, you suggested that the AP mm-hmm. believed that there were six justices who were skeptical. Right. Um, I would I would frame that slightly different. I would say that there were three justices who were opposed: the three liberals, Jackson, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were three who seemed, uh, you know, very much on board uh, in, in Thomas and Gorsuch and Alito. And there were three that I would define not as skeptical, but as independent state legislature curious. <laughs> um, I, I And I don't think that they were looking for a way to knock a bonkers theory down. Mm. I think that they were looking in typical John Roberts fashion for a way to slowly guide us toward the bonkers. Uh, and it seems to me that what he's trying to do is, is uh, fashion some sort of compromise that is not the maximalist, most insane reading of this, but that he most certainly is trying to cut state uh, supreme courts out of the process of um, of reviewing state legislature law. And I think that they got the case fundamentally wrong. And I think that this is where... We all got confused today, right? Because Mm -hmm. you know and I know uh, uh, what this case is really about. This case is about the consequences of what happens if these legislatures get these wild and unfettered uh, powers handed to them. Um, And that is not what we were arguing about in the court today. Um, And that is because Roberts and the conservatives did a nifty jujitsu on all of this, and they made the argument about... Well, what happens when state supreme courts go too far? Mm -hmm. And what happens when these state supreme courts are legislating from the bench? When really what the issue ought to be here. That's not the threat. The state supreme courts in North Carolina and elsewhere have been the last saviors and protectors of representative democracy in these states. The danger does not come from state supreme courts going too far. It goes these but the danger comes from the legislatures mm-hmm. going too far, mm-hmm. and that is not what this court and the conservative justices on there seem
2: at all aware of or interested in today. I was, yeah, I was fascinated by that uh, that concept that they were arguing, that, you know, what is the the check and balance on these state courts to keep them from going too far, which, one, you know, brings up the federalism issue. Don't they always pretend to be in favor of states' rights? And now, 233 years into this particular constitution, all of a sudden they're, they're concerned. How do we keep these runaway state courts in control. That was sort of difficult to stomach. Uh, I, and I'm try, I'm trying to figure out, Dave Daly, what would this middle ground that uh, John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts, was looking for, what would that even look like? It seems like it's sort of all or nothing in this case, no? I, th- I think it would be
3: trying to pin down a standard for when a state Supreme Court could intervene, mm-hmm. and sort of laying out a three- or four-part Uh, 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 standard of when the court's intervention rises to a level that it is allowed uh, to toss aside uh, or to invalidate um, something that a state legislature does. Um, And Robert is kind of a fascinating figure here, right? Because what Robert does is um, he, he portrays himself as a moderate while always moving the line just a little bit further in the other direction and mm-hmm. it's a constant bait and switch yep. um, you'll remember in the Rucho case the uh, case in which uh, Roberts effectively closed the federal courts to partisan gerrymandering right. what he wrote in that case was that um, state a uh, federal courts involvement was not necessary because state supreme courts and state constitutions were doing a perfectly good job of hemming in partisan gerrymanders. And today, when Roberts was reminded of that, he sort of dodged and ducked, right? What he said was, well, you're quoting me, but you're (laughs) quoting me from a case in which I was talking about how hard it is to find a meaningful standard. And I just don't think free and fair elections... uh, clauses in the North Carolina Constitution, I just don't know where in there it says anything to do with partisan gerrymandering. And Alito jumps in on that and says, yeah, you know, I don't think when they wrote the English Bill of Rights they were thinking at all about partisan gerrymandering. Do you? And that makes me think that they are looking to create an almost impossible standard for state Supreme Courts to get involved, which would then free these the state legislatures mm-hmm. to do effectively whatever they would like, uh, with the only possible check being, what, federal courts that have been wildly stacked and packed by conservatives. Um, we are getting very close to the checkmate moment, uh, and it's terrifying.
2: It is terrifying, and it's you know troubling that in one sense they say, "Oh, uh, federal courts must stay out of these uh, uh, gerrymandering partisan gerrymandering matters. We'll leave it to the states," and then the states say, "Hey, we you know we don't think that the state supreme court should have any say here." I mean, it is really coming down to. Legislatures uh, choosing their own voters, as they say, uh, in a way that they cannot be defeated if this goes forward. We haven't even gotten to the larger picture, and I know you got to go. I think you've got a meeting at a senator's office there, uh, but the larger picture of how... This ruling can affect not just gerrymandering, but, you know, how states determine who their electoral slate will be in presidential elections.
3: That's exactly right. And that's what's so terrifying here, is that if you give legislatures that have already been gerrymandered Mm -hmm. so that they are full of extremists beyond the reach of voters... Mm -hmm. and then remove any checks and balances on them, we have seen how many of them are proponents of the big lie. What we saw on January 6th will be simply the dress rehearsal for what we will see in in 2025. And the the coup will be a bloodless, legal, technocratic one. It will not be crazy people in hats taking uh, poops in uh, Speaker Pelosi's office, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's going to be led by the people in the suits and ties who go in and just say, "Well, the independent state legislative theory means we don't have to certify this election or or, or send you these electors. Uh, this is this is a dark dark road, um, and uh, we are well on our way down it."
2: David, uh, inside the uh, Supreme Court courtroom on uh, Wednesday morning, what was the sense uh, in the room for uh, how the you've been to a lot of these cases, a lot of these oral arguments by now. Could you get a sense in the room of, uh, you know, how the folks there were hearing this case and how they think this is going to be playing out uh, once we get a ruling back in June, I guess, of next year?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, uh, you can read the facial language. You know, you can see Alito kind of uh, smirking and rocking back and forth. You can, uh, you know, uh, Gorsuch was just incredibly nasty to the um, uh, lawyers on the side of the voting rights group. Yes, he was. Uh,
2: That made it all the way out here. I could tell that from here, yeah.
3: (laughs) Right. Uh, You didn't have to be in the room to uh, see that. Um, uh, This court is making up, the rules as it goes along Mm -hmm. and they are not playing constitutional law they are playing calvin ball right from calvin and hobbes Uh, in which the rules are whatever they say they are because they have the power to do exactly that there are five of them and so whatever they say goes and that is where i fear this case is going
2: I fear it as well, and yet I hope we are both somehow terribly wrong. David Daly is... Because we never are. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. This time, maybe we will be. David Daly, a senior fellow at fairvote.org, uh, author of a book called Rat Flipped The True that Story Behind my name. The Secret Plan to Steal Americans uh, America's Democracy. I can't say the real name on air. You can also find him. Not so secret anymore. Uh, you can also find him on the Twitters at DaveDaly3, the number three, and of course at fairvote.org. Thanks, David. Get to that uh, senator's meeting. Bye. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye. I think he's going. I think he's going to meet uh, Senator Whitehouse. Or yes, at least in his office. I
0: believe that said. that is what uh, he said. And I just unless wanna...
2: we screwed it up, held him too long, I and now not. he's going to miss his meeting. Yeah, that oh, would well. be bad.
0: But you know, one of yeah. the things you guys, um, unfortunately and fortunately, you guys both tend to be right about these things. And I really, <laughs> really, 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 really hope that you're both very, very wrong about the uh, the the shape that this might take. The with concerns the that right wing supermajority. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the, the way,
2: Dave uh, said there were five of them. I think he's definitely wrong on that. There are six of them. You know, Justice John Roberts is pretending to be some sort of moderate oh, I'm not like these crazy far right wingers. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, he is. He just tries to couch it as Dave himself said, you know, in, in some sort of uh, you know moderate sort of half measure for now that is absolutely going to the same place, but it looks like maybe it's not uh, and, uh, you know, that seems to be where that that seem that would seem to be the good news if that's the ruling that we end up getting on this. Yeah.
0: And, I, and having listened to the arguments, I think that Justice Amy Coney Barrett, she is sort of an unknown factor in all of this because she hasn't doesn't have any, you know, literature that she's written about it or had any... She's the
2: only one who's not on the record. She's the only one who's a cipher on this this one one when it comes
0: to the record, and she did seem skeptical of the arguments during the arguments, but um, one of the things that struck me was how the uh, lawyer for the petitioners, the North Carolina Republican Party, they seemed to be saying that the remedy for a rogue state legislature having all of this authority was not for the court, the state Supreme Court, to step in, but for Congress to step in. But you know, we know that because of the Republicans blocking voting rights bills in Congress, that avenue would be shut off. And also that Republican state legislatures are gerrymandering so heavily that voters can't elect representatives who would then remedy the situation. So it seems to be a catch-22, and we're basically just left with whatever Amy Coney Barrett decides. Uh,
2: so I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I, I was this is at, all great. I know. I was actually struck by... How many laws, at you know, if in fact this is the direction they go, how many laws that have been passed regarding elections over the past 200 years? Yeah. That would then be uh, they'd be able to go to the court and say, oh, this is unconstitutional. It doesn't work under the independent state legislature theory. We can do whatever we want now.
0: Yeah, it would be Uh, chaos.
2: It will overturn elections as we know it. And I keep, you know, I I keep saying that over and over again. And I feel like people are probably, oh, he's just, you know, overstating the case. He just wants us to panic. This is... uh, Um, I don't think I could overstate this. Well, we'll find out. We'll see. I think uh, Mark Joseph Stern is joining us tomorrow on the show. Yes, he'll have even more. We'll see if he thinks I'm overstating this or if I'm understating it. Just we'll see. All right, we have to get out. My thanks again to Dave Daly of Fair Vote, to my producer Desi Doyen, and of course to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It's always an honor. And hey, we had some good news at the top of the show, so there's that. Oh, yeah. If you missed any portion of today's show or you just want to go back and hear that good news, you can stop by bradblog.com, download this show or any other that we have ever done for free no paywall. That is thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate or hit any of those donate links when you come to bradblog.com. We've tried to make it easy for you and hard for you to miss. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I'm the Bradblog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.